That way, if there's something wrong with my wireless, it will not, you won't hear it pop. Psalm 40 is a psalm that's actually two psalms in one. If you look beginning in verses 12 through 17, you'll see that it is a prayer for help. But the first 11 verses that we're going to focus on this morning is a prayer, or rather a praise for help that has already been rendered and offered to the psalmist. Apparently, this writer has been in a pit, in a hole, in trouble. God has rescued him, so he offers this new song, this hymn, in which others are now putting their trust in God. And this psalmist is witnessing to God's saving action. So let's read verses 1 through 11 of Psalm 40. Follow with me this morning. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Actually, that Hebrew says more specifically, my ears you have opened or dug out. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O oh Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you know, I've learned through the years that whenever you're the last person to go, sometimes someone before, before you tells your story. I've witnessed that countless times in sermons and in funeral and memorial services, and here it happens again with Pastor McKnight. <laughs> now, I have to give him full credit, though, for he and I being on the same page and yet not talking about this particular incident because his mother was a Rogers. And I've always said that accounts for Michael's greatness. He said he has 50% Rogers in his blood. Just like I do, I have 50% Rogers in my blood. But would you believe that I have a story to tell you about the woods? 
And would you believe I have a story to tell you about my friend Bruce? <laughs> He's a Rogers. He reads my mind. What can I say? But you see, when I was growing up, the Watsons had a three-acre parcel of land next to our acre-and-a-half parcel of land, and the two pieces of property kind of went down together, and on their side of where it went down in this lower level of the property, we boys affectionately called it the bottom. The bottom. So the three Watson boys and the two Roger boys and other neighborhood boys in the summer months and certainly afternoon after school could be found down in the bottom. And the bottom was the place where our imaginations ran wild. We didn't need video games, even if they had been in existence, because we just used our imaginations, and we used tools like shovels and hammers and saws and nails. And that was the place where we played a lot of army. And so we had to have a lot of equipment for our army ventures, so we built a treehouse down at the bottom. And we uh, built a jail on wheels <laughs> that we could put our prisoners in and transport to different locations around the bottom. And we even took shovels and we dug a pond that was probably about the size of where our choir is sitting this morning and it was probably about three or four feet deep when it rained. We had a pretty good pond and our Tonka toys lined the pond. And we also took our shovels and built tunnels, Michael. We had an intricate tunnel system. And we took boards and placed over the tunnels that were about two feet wide by two or three feet deep. And we'd put a little layer of dirt on top of the boards and pine straw so that they were a hidden tunnel system. And one day, one of the Watson boys, the oldest, Bruce, big fella, he was a horse at an early age, wide and thick. And he went in that tunnel system and he got stuck. <laughs> and I mean, here he was a guy who was a big old football player eventually in high school and he was, he was squealing like a pig because he got stuck in that tunnel system. And so we came running and it wasn't deep enough we had to throw a rope down to rescue Bruce but we had to locate what part of the tunnel system he was in and scrape away the pine straw and the dirt and pull up the boards to extract him from this pit, this tunnel that we had created. Well, I've had times in my life, and I bet you have as well, where I've landed stuck in the tunnel, where I've landed in the hole, I've landed in the pit. Sometimes it's been a pit, and a hole of my own making. Sometimes it's been a pit and a hole or a stuck tunnel of someone else's making that they imposed upon me. And those downward spirals into those physical, emotional, relational, or spiritual holes and pits are painful. Most of the time, I don't know how it's been for you, but most of the time, I've needed the hand of God to extract me from that tunnel, to pull me with the rope out of the pit. 
And many times I've needed the help of other people as well to get me out, to, to put my feet on a firm landing exactly as the psalmist says. And that's what he testifies to in the first two verses. He waited patiently or longingly for the Lord. The Lord turned to him and heard his cry. He lifted him out of the slimy pit, in our language, out of the hole. He was stuck in the tunnel. And God set his feet on a rock and gave him a firm place to stand. I've had that happen to me physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. How about you? But what's interesting to me about this psalm this morning is not only the fact, and we celebrate it, that God got this writer out of some trouble. He was in a heap of trouble, apparently. But I'm also interested in how the psalmist responds once God completes the rescue operation and extracts him from this pit, this hole, this difficult place that he's been in. And so I want you to notice this morning the five responses that the psalmist offers or we see in others as God pulls this writer out of the pit. And I want to put some things on the screen for you to see this morning so that we can kind of follow the steps. Now, the first response of the psalmist, you'll notice, is that he offers praise and worship to God. The text says in verse 3 that he put a new song in my mouth. He put a hymn of praise to our God. And I would say that 99.9% that of the time, when I have encounters with people of faith, folks who follow Jesus, and they've been in that hole, they've been in that pit, they got stuck in the tunnel, and God or others came down and rescued them, most of the time I hear words of praise. I hear words of thanksgiving. I hear words of worship. Thank you, God. I praise you, God, for getting me out of this mess. And that's what the psalmist does. He offers praise and worship to God. Well, the second thing, the second response from the psalmist that actually is a consequence of his being poured out of the pit is that trust in God is deepened in other people's lives. Certainly the psalmist's trust in God is deepened, but others trust the text says many, in verses uh, 3 and 4, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. So the second response that we see is that somebody gets extracted and and saved and delivered from some hole, some pit, they're stuck in a tunnel. God or others are a part of delivering them. And our trust in God is deepened because of the work he does. All right, the third response of the psalmist is that he expresses gratitude. He expresses gratitude both for previous and for future rescue operations. See, the psalmist undoubtedly is starting to connect the dots. And he's been in a mess of trouble. And suddenly he's saying, you know, I think of other times when I've been in trouble. And I even think of times in the future when I may be in trouble. So he responds in verse 5, Many, O Lord, my God, 
are the wonders that you have done. The things you plan for us, no one can recount to you were I to speak and tell of them. They would be too many to declare. So he's connecting the dots. And maybe you've done that in your life before. God has delivered you from something. He's rescued you. He saved you from something. And it's helped you to identify other times in the past. And it helps you to look ahead and to say, you know, I believe I can trust in God and count on him to do the exact same thing in the future. Well, the fourth response is obedience. The psalmist says, Then I said, Here I am, I have come. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. An interesting word that really you could translate that word for heart. It's written in my bowels. Deep within me is where your law is written. Now you see, right before we get to that scripture, the psalmist says, God, you don't desire. You don't desire sacrifice and offerings. You don't desire for me to come into the temple and to offer some kind of animal sacrifice to you for saving me. What you have done, God, the psalmist says, is you have dug a hole in my ear. That's literally what the psalmist has said. Not just open my ear. You've taken an instrument, if you can picture that, God digging a hole in the writer's ear so that he can pour God's truth into his heart, into his soul. And that truth says God doesn't desire sacrifice and offerings. What he really wants is obedience. He wants us to do his will. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heavens. But he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now let's put what Jesus said into language we can understand. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and personal Savior, will enter the kingdom of the heavens. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, I've been baptized. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, I've been sitting in the pew two out of four Sundays on average over a 12-month period of time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, I actually opened my Bible and read it once a week for most of my life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, I went on a mission trip in your name. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says that obedience, it's not what you say. It's what you do that Jesus looks at. And uses as the criteria of which you enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the psalmist is at that point where he understands it's not putting $5 in the offering plate. It's not an animal sacrifice. It's not the exterior stuff we do. Although all those things that I've just named are reflections of an inner change that's happened in our life. 
But the psalmist understands that it's what we do that's the real measure of who we are. So obedience is the fourth response of the psalmist. And the last response of the psalmist that we see in Psalm 40 is that witness to others is practiced. It's practiced through word and deed. Look at what the psalmist writes in verses 9 and 10. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips. How many times have you sealed your lips? When the opportunity to build a relationship with someone, your neighbor, your friend, your work colleague, a family member, you sealed your lips? You didn't share Jesus and what He had done in your life? I do not seal my lips as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak. Part of sharing your faith is speaking it. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from this great assembly. So those are the five responses. Thank you for putting those on the screen. Five responses. There is worship and praise offered. People's faith and trust and confidence in God is deepened. There is that ability to connect the dots and to thank God for previous rescue operations and the ones that are to come. We start to be obedient. We do God's will. We put into practice what we say we believe. And finally, we get to the point where we build relationships with people and we share, we witness, we tell what we know that God has done in those rescue efforts in our life. Now, I'm curious this morning, which one or which ones of those five are missing in your life? Which one or which ones of those five the worship, the praise, trust being deepened, gratitude for previous and future rescue operations, obedience, or witness. Which one or which ones of those five, after God has pulled you out of the pit, threw the rope down, extracted you from the tunnel, which one or ones are missing? Now you see, we Christians have two things. We have our official theology and practice over here. And then over here we have our functional theology and practice. The official theology tells us what we say we believe. The functional theology and practice is what we really do. And you do understand that those two sometimes are miles apart. What we say we believe, lots of times is different from what we do. So what's your official theology and practice? What's your functional theology and practice? What do you actually do when God extracts you from the, the pit and the hole? Well, what would it look like if we really moved through those five responses and allowed those five responses to be living and real and significant in our lives. Well, this past Monday in a Wake County courtroom, 23-year-old Marshall Doran heard words from two families 
that really modeled the psalm response of those two families getting out of the pit they had been in. You see, Matthew, or rather Marshall Doran, already earlier this month, had entered pleas in a new Hanover County courtroom acknowledging that prosecutors had enough evidence to convict him for two fatal fires that he set in December of 2014 at Carolina Beach. He already knew when he was in the Wake County courtroom this past Monday he was going to spend the rest of his life without an opportunity for parole in jail. But at the hearing on Monday, that hearing addressed an event that took place 10 months prior to those fatal fires. It was a hit and run accident that killed two men, a Navy petty officer from Fort Bragg and a trucker from Winston-Salem. What happened is that those two men, that Navy petty officer and the trucker from Winston-Salem had stopped on I-40 near Garner on a snowy February night in 2014 to help a truck driver who had slid on the icy road and had blocked traffic. Marshall Doran was driving a car. He had consumed quite a bit of alcohol and he struck both of those good Samaritans on the side of the road on I-40. He killed both of them and he drove off from the scene of the wreck. The parents of that naval petty officer who died, Nathaniel Williams, who was aged 35, his parents spoke to Marshall Doran last Monday. They spoke of their faith in God. They spoke of their trust and their belief in the Bible and in God's Word. They told Marshall Doran that they wanted to send him a Bible that they wanted him to find salvation in Christ, that they wanted him to be released from the same pit that they had found themselves in. This is what Nathaniel Williams' mother told Marshall Doran. She said, I forgive you from the bottom of my heart. I forgive you. And then Larry Kepley, he's the trucker who was killed. His wife, Jennifer, stood up and she told Marshall Doran, it's been two and a half years of sorrow, waiting, and concern. Through God's eyes of grace, I am able to forgive you for what you've done. I hope that you know that your prayers, that, that my prayers are with you from here on out. You know, there's no doubt these two families had been in a pit. They'd been in a hole for two and a half plus years. They were able to move through the process, I'm certain, of praising and worshiping God for being with them, of seeing people's faith and trust in God deepened, of connecting the dots and understanding that God had been with them in the past and He would promise to be with them in the future. But what is most impressive to me is that these two families were able to move to the fourth and fifth phase of the psalmist's response, which is obedience. 
They were obedient to God's word to forgive this man for killing a member of their family. And furthermore, they were able to give public witness and testimony of their faith in Christ and the power of forgiveness to change people's lives. So once again, what's missing for you? I want you to join me in a moment of prayer. Let's pray together. And as God's Holy Spirit pours over your heart and over your soul, when God has rescued you and saved you and delivered you from some circumstance, which one or one of these responses has been missing? And what is it that you need to say to God right now in order to live into His desire for you to come out of that pit, to be obedient, to praise Him, to thank Him, to see your trust deepen, to share what He has done with others. What do you need to say to God right now? God, hear the prayers of your people. Forgive us, O oh God, for those times when you have pulled us out of that tunnel, stuck the hole without a rope available. You've been our rope. And we've just allowed that experience to fade into the past, and we have not responded in the ways of the psalmist. Remind us this day, O oh God, that you continue to be there for us in the future. But you desire so much to see us to respond with these actions and these words of gratitude and praise and intentionality to share what you've done for us with others. So hear our prayer, God. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Well, friends, we're going to sing the hymn this morning, He Lifted Me, number 509, in your hymnal. And as we sing together, I hope that you'll be thinking about what kind of response you need to offer God in the week that is to come, even in the day that remains. As we sing the hymn, it could be that there's someone here who's never made that first-time decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been through our membership class, Oakmont 101, and you're ready now to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. We invite you to go back to the prayer stations to pray with one of our ministers, to leave a prayer request, or to write a prayer to God if that would be meaningful to you. So as we sing our hymn, I'll be standing at the front, and I'd welcome praying with you or hearing your response. Let's stand together and let's sing.
Well, friends, good morning again and welcome to Oakmont. It's good to see your smiling faces and to be able to share in our time of worship. We always like to offer warm words of welcome to those who may be our special guests for the first time, a returning guest. And I want to ask all of you to take the Burgundy Fellowship pads in just a moment and to sign your names and pass them up and down your row. It's a good way to match names and faces, to build community and friendships. And I hope that you will offer words of greeting to each other after our service ends. And as always, we're, we're delighted to share and worship with those who may be worshiping this morning by way of cable channel 7 or live streaming our service. We're going to continue in our worship by practicing being generous givers. So I want to ask our ushers to come now. And as they do, we're going to return to God his tithes and our offerings. <laughs> <laughs> 